This show was first broadcast on Free FM, Hamilton, New Zealand's community access media organisation. For more information on our lineup of shows and the role we play in the media, visit freefm.org.nz. Hi, it's Vanessa from the Fighting Stigma Show on Free FM. Are you a Waikato local? Do you have an idea for a radio show? Do you want to try your hand at being a content creator on Free FM? If so, check out our website on freefm.org.nz or find Free FM on Facebook and get in touch. Tēnā koe ko Murdoch tēnei, te kai whakarite pāpāho Māori ki tuia ngā reo o te hāpuri. Tēnā koe, it's Murdoch, Māori Media Coordinator here at 3FM. And we're really excited about all the new Māori-focused content currently playing on 3FM. But we can always do more. So if you have kōrero, you want to share with us i roto i te reo Māori in the Māori language or with a Māori kaupapa, then email me, maoridia at 3FM.org.nz. Tūtawa mai i runga, tūtawa mai i raro, tūtawa mai i roto, tūtawa mai i waho, kia mauri tū, kia mauri ora, kia tātou katoa, me tukumihi anō kia koutou katoa. Claudette Hauti here, Y262, kia whakapūmau, this is the first whānau claimant, the taumata whakapūmau le kōrero, the history of Y262 flora and fauna claim, the symposium here at Waipapa Marae at Te Wharewananga or Tamaki Makaurau Auckland University. The symposium serves an opportunity to share kōrero, kaupapa vision, moi moi a legacy of the original claimants, te ōhaki. It's also here, we are also here to share the Wai 262 journey ahead of us all, kia mua, kia muri, because as we know, it has been a very, very long journey. The journey is not over, and so we continue to enforce and to reclaim what we originally had wanted in Te Ōhaki, the joint dreams and aspirations of Te Ōhaki. We're also here uh, to give you, uh, we have for you technicians, practitioners, mātauranga, tikanga, Māori experts, Māori scientists, universities, university academics, museum legal professionals and researchers have all assembled here today to give you their perspective on how best to proceed with the Y262 under the current environmental and political uh, context. We understand that the world, not just Aotearoa, New Zealand, but the world is battling climate change. What does that mean for us, tangata whenua, mana whenua, mana moana, here in Aotearoa, New Zealand, and how best for our Indigenous voices, Māori voices, to be able to direct and to guide the uh, strategy to work with government and the Crown on how to minimise climate change on our whenua and our moana. Very, very important. Our mātauranga is front and centre of any of the strategies going forward put forward by our government and the Crown. We're here also to support and work with Te Taumata Whakapumo and the legacy projects of Y262 and we will talk more about that and we will talk to others as well too, Māngai who have, who will be coming today to submit to this, the first whānau claimant, Taumata Whakapumo here. It's an online symposium here at Waipapa Marae.
University of Auckland, te whariwānanga o Tamaki Mikaurau. Kore hie akumanu topatapa ki runga ki te rangita, ki ri mai ana te ata i runga i te toa i huare bo ngā riki. Ka tiari aria ka tuarehu, ma te rua i te angaanga ka pua tailangi ka o te atu, hara mai te toki a haum ie, huie, tai ki e. Tāne nui ārangi e tū tako o tako o mai nei tēnei rā te whakamahratanga atu ki a rātou kua rau me mene atu rā ki tua. Te pātaka i ringa kōrero e rā hiri ake ana i te ngahu e tangata kuhuri ki te whare mō wairuki ruki haere. Huri tū atu ki a koe hene te iwaiwa e takapau mai rā waipapa e kare mai ana ko ngā tai whakamahratanga atu ki a rātou mā takoto tātou e pae nei tēnei kamihiake ki a tātou katoa te nākūtou, te nākūtou e ngauri o ngā tōpūranga riki. Ta tuatura ki o kūtau e ngaiwi, e hono mai nei mā te upurangi ki tā tātau hui. E pāna ki tenei kaupapa take take, ki te kaupapa nāna i a tātau i whakahia tomai. I tenei rā tenei kamihake ki o kūtau, tenā kūtau, tenā kūtau. Kia ora mai rā tātau katoa. Good morning and welcome to this very important hui today. E ki ana te kōrero, ko te kaupapa ko Y262. A rā noa atu ona kōrero, a rā noa atu. O nga kaupapa i hoiho, ngari ko tahi te kaupapa, whako ko tahi a tātou i tarane. A rā ko te kaupapa, nga rātou mā i tā takiake i roto i ngātou. Welcome, welcome, thrice welcome to this symposium. And to those of you online today, it's great to have you here. There are about four or five hundred people who have registered to be a part of this symposium today. It is great to have you uh, along. For those of you at home or watching online, you can be a part of the proceedings here today. Simply join or register using the Slido app. You can raise questions or indeed post comments on Slido. If you've got any questions, we will put those to our panellists today. And there are a number of people in the room here today, luminaries one and all, who are part of this amazing kaupapa of Y262, a very important kaupapa. It is great to be with you today and it is a privilege to be your Master of Ceremonies here today as well. Before we proceed any further, let's take a look at some introductory explanations of this symposium, of the kaupapa that has brought us here today. A video to give you further introductory information on this symposium. Tarahi ke mātakitake ke whakarongoa ke rātatau, ki ngā kōrero e whakamāramāna i te ahunga atu me te ahunga mai o te kaupapa this is the first Y262 claimant whānau-led kōrero in the history of the Y262 flora and fauna claim. The Taumata Whakapūmau who are leading the journey ahead includes whānau claimants and their iwi leaders from Ngāti Kuri, Te Rarawa, Ngāti Wai, Ngāti Porou, Ngāti Kaungunu and Ngāti Kuata. The claimant's vision and aspiration seeks to restore te tino rangatiratanga o tiwi Māori in respect of flora and fauna and all of our taonga. Taonga being those things and values which we treasure, material, non-material, tangible and intangible. The Y262 kaupapa began in the 1960s when a group of Māori rights activists challenged the Crown about the policies and laws that were taking away Māori control over taonga. It was October 1991, and Sana Murray, Ngati Kuri, Del Wihungi, Te Rarawa, John Hippolyte, Wai, with the assistance of lawyer Moana Jackson, Ngati Kaumunu, lodged the native flora and fauna claim with the Waitangi Tribunal. 
The Y262 claim is one of the largest and most complex in the history of the Waitangi Tribunal. It was also the first whole-of-government inquiry. This meant that the Y262 claim was the first contemporary claim that focused mainly on the Crown's existing laws, policies and practices, rather than the Crown's historical actions. It meant examining the policy areas of more than 20 government agencies. The Y262 claim seeks tino rangatiratanga over and effective Crown recognition and protection of a range of indigenous biodiversity, plant and animal species, including harakeke, pingao and kiekie, more than nine varieties of kumara, pohutukawa, koromiko, puawananga, manuka, and tuatara, kukupa, kiriru, kuaka, pupu harakeke. Mātauranga Māori, traditional Māori knowledge including language, science, technology, laws, history, systems of property and value, exchange, rituals and ceremonies, art and forms of expression including weaving, carving, tāmoko, haka and vaikōrero. Māori cultural values, whanaungatanga and kaitiakitanga. The Y262 claim also seeks effective Crown recognition of Māori tinoranga tiratanga through influence over the decisions and actions of ministers and government agencies, policy and lawmaking. Y262, protecting our taonga for future generations. To share the corridor today, the vision and the legacy of the original claimants of Y262, ko te ohaki, ko te teranga tuatahitera. Tuaruaiho, to share the Y262 journey ahead of all of us, whānau, hapu, iwi, te ao Māori, Aotearoa. Ka mua, ka muri. Tuatoruiho, to have technicians and practitioners support and work with the tamata whakapūmau and the legacy projects of Y262, ko te tauhuhu, Ladies and gentlemen, our first speaker needs no introduction, although it is fortuitous, I think, that I stand in front of three po. Tamate Arikinui, Paikea, Pawa, and Kahungunu. He is a tokemata of Ngāti Kahungunu. He is a New Zealand Māori lawyer of Ngāti Kahungunu, Ngāti Pro descent and director of Ngākai Whakamāra Mai Ngā Ture, founded in 1987. He is the son, of course, of All Black Everard Jackson, the brother of Sid Jackson, and also the brother of my geography and history teacher, Tote College, Fred Jackson. He graduated in law and criminology at Te Wharewānanga o Tūpokotika Māui Tiki Tiki Ataranga Te Wharewānanga Wikitoria, Victoria University of Wellington, and after a short period in practice, took up the teaching of Māori language. He then undertook further study in the United States before returning to New Zealand to conduct research for the then Justice Department report on the Māori and criminal justice system, Hewaipānga Ho, which was published... And that report was made available in 1988. And of course, he has worked extensively overseas on international indigenous issues, particularly the drafting of the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples. I think it's also poignant at this moment to acknowledge the work of indigenous freedom fighters and leaders worldwide, the likes of Dr. Honani K. Trask, who passed away recently in Hawaii. How lucky we are to have a man of such commitment of such insight 
of such knowledge to be with us here today. Era hui, Y262, please make welcome our first kaikorero this morning. Moana Jackson. Moana tenakwe. Tenakwe Julian, tenakwe K. Marie, and tenakwe to everyone who is joining the seminar today. It's, it's really an honour and a privilege to to be with you, and I'm excited by the programme that lies ahead of us. Um, what, what I thought might be helpful and what I'd like to do is try and give some of the background context, the whakapapa, if you like, to the claim, um, the things that happened at the time the original claimants first came to our office in Wellington and Cuba Street to raise issues about a number of particular kaupapa which were causing concern at that time in the mid-1980s and how we decided to progress that. And that then led, as Julian has said, to the most comprehensive, longest and most detailed um, claims that the tribunal has considered. And although it looked at current Crown policies and so on, and those policies, of course, had a whakapapa as well. So it was historical in that sense, and so nothing that was considered in relation to, say, a current piece of legislation uh, could be considered in isolation because they all had a whakapapa that traced back to the history of the dispossession of our people. And I'd particularly like to acknowledge those original claimants um, who besides being quite amazing people and leaders uh, were I think also imaginative and brave in what they tried to do. And as I said before, it was an honour and a privilege to work with them. I'd like to acknowledge those members of the Afano who might be joining us today and acknowledge a couple of other people who often don't get recognised, I think, in the history of this claim. Uh, the first is Dr Oliver Sutherland, um, who at the time was involved with Manaki Whenua, um, government department, and was a good friend of Dell and Sana's and particularly John. And Oliver helped frame a lot of the original scientific discussions around some of the topics which were considered by the tribunal. The other scientists that we relied on a lot um, in the early stages was Dr. Murray Parsons um, from Matikahuanu. Unlike the claimants, Murray sadly is. Is no longer with us, but his work um, in ethnobotany and his understanding of rongo and plants, both as a book upon of kahunganu and as a scientist, um, proved invaluable as well. And finally, I'd like to acknowledge among the many lawyers who were eventually involved in the claim, I'd like to acknowledge Maui Solomon, 
uh, I understand we'll be talking later today because Maui in a sense was one of the trailblazing lawyers who picked up the kaupapa, um, which for many people perhaps at the time seemed a bit frightening because it was so vast and um, so new um, in the issues that it raised before the tribunal. So if I could begin then just by giving a bit of the background which I think is very important as we're finally reaching a stage where the Crown hopefully might be positively positively responding to some of the issues raised by the claim and some of the issues which were of concern, not just to the claimants, but I think to our people at that time. In 1987, the government passed a piece of legislation called the Plant Variety Rights Act, um, which to simplify its intent, um, allowed for the granting of plant variety rights, a, a form of patent, if you like, over new cultivars or new developed subspecies of plants. And most of the cultivars which were being considered were of our native um, flora. And this caused a lot of concern um, about the dangers to our mātauranga, our ability as iwi and hapu to extract the rongo from our plants and so on. But it was one of those pieces of legislation which passed through Parliament without much publicity um, and when calls for submissions were made there were only two uh, submissions from Māori um, our little office the Māori Legal Service made a submission as did Te Rūnanga Whakawhanaunenga Hāhi the Rūnanga Māori Churches and we basically were the only ones who raised concerns and opposition to both the process envisaged in the plant variety rights legislation and the dangers which we felt it posed to our mātauranga and to our tēnuranga teratanga. Most of the other um, submissions um, were in favour um, of the legislation um, and they came from large nursery companies, um, different scientific organisations and so on. And that was part of a worldwide trend and one of the other things that I think is unique about the claim and which I'll touch on a bit more later is that it tapped into issues which Indigenous peoples were also grappling with overseas at, at that time. And indeed, when the original claimants first came to see us in 1988, um, that was three years after the United Nations had begun um, work on what became the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples. And a lot of the discussions um, during the drafting of that declaration involved intellectual property the right to protect biodiversity and so on. 
And so when our people responded to the Plant Variety Rights Act, it was actually part of an international indigenous concern about what was happening, it was closely linked to the development of international uh, multilateral trade agreements, which sought to open up the whole area of intellectual property to exploration and exploitation, and often those things which were wanting to be explored, exploited, um, with the Taonga of Indigenous peoples. And the issue was brought home um, in this country, not, not just by the passage of the Plant Variety Rights Act, but a number of other parallel things that were happening at the time. Um, Dalwi Hongi, one of the original claimants, for example, was concerned when at an ethnobotany conference in Christchurch, um, which he attended, and which I happened to attend as well, um, to learn that the seeds of different species of kumara had been given by the government to a research institute in Japan. And it seemed strange to Dell and to me and to many of the other Māori people that the Crown could simply assume that it had the authority to do that. And that without talking to our people, um, they could just dispose of the basic seed stock of the many varieties of kuma um, which our people had harvested over the years. At the same time, there were other specific issues. Um, a lot of tourist ventures, for example, were making really quite offensive um, articles for sale. Some of you will remember these. There were tea towels um, with the faces of tepuna emblazoned on them, um, beach towels with the words of haka and waiata printed on them. Um, there were candles um, made in, in the form of pofukairo, um with the wick of the candle coming out of the head of, of the tipuna. And it was part of the sort of burgeoning neoliberal uh, free trade, free marketing approach that anything was co-optable, anything was exploitable and didn't need necessarily to involve any discussion or permission or consent from the people to whom those things were important and to whom they belong. Um, at the same time, there's the first public awareness of genetic modification and particularly the placing of human genes into other species um, as part of research projects. Um, and our people learned about that, again, through contacts with overseas Indigenous peoples. And again, a lot of our people that we talked to were concerned about simply the harvesting of human genes we discovered that many of the genes being used in these experiments were taken 
um, from indigenous peoples at that time, particularly in South America, um, planted into other animals and so on. And the very idea that the iratamata, if you like, of people could be transplanted into some other species, raise really serious tikala and moral issues um, for our people. Those issues, as I said, were also raised at the time in the working group drafting the Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples. And the particular relevance of the issues to our people was picked up by the claimants who, who first came to see us. And there were a number of issues which we discussed and it was interesting for me as I prepared for today to look through the notes of those first couple of meetings. And these were people who often, like Tamapuata and John Hippolyte, had a long history and along with Sana and advocating for specific Māori issues. Um, Tama established the Māori organisation Human Rights, one of the first national Māori organisations devoted to land issues and, and so on at that time. Um, John, Dell and Sana had been active in trying to protect uh, taonga and fauna and flora and Verohe has had witty, particularly in relation to the sea of Matiwai. And those first few discussions just canvassed such a wide range of issues. We weren't quite sure to begin with how to frame it um, in terms of a claim to the Waitangi Tribunal. And that is why, in the end, those different categories which were raised on the screen earlier uh, became a way of breaking down, yet at the same time, joining together uh, the many issues. And so at that first meeting, we decided that we would proceed with a claim and that then opened up this wide range of issues of concern, both internationally and here in New Zealand, about what was happening uh, to our flora and fauna. Not long after that first meeting, um, and before the claim was finally laid in 1991, Dell and I attended an international um, biodiversity conference in New York and that reinforced for us the international scope of what the claim envisaged and there were many people at that symposium both indigenous peoples and non-indigenous who were concerned about the reach of the neoliberal trade imperative um, as I said the presumption that anything was marketable and anything was exploitable. And so when we spoke at that symposium in New York, um, although we weren't sure at that stage what form the claim would take, how long it would take, and how we could amass the evidence and the expertise to 
raised all the issues. Um, we mentioned the claim at the symposium and a lot of other Indigenous peoples expressed interest and offered support and that became very important, I think, to the original claimants. And so we filed the original claim in 1991, and that is when people like Mali and other lawyers became directly involved to process the claim through the tribunal. It became a very long running and difficult claim, and I'm sure Mali may talk about this in some way, perhaps. But the Crown was, I feel, particularly obstructive um, during the claim. I think it was concerned about the broad nature of the claim, the number of Crown agencies uh, which were brought into the ambit of the claim because it covered so much and so many different kaupapa. And they had never had to deal, I don't think, before, either with a contemporary claim of this nature or with one that was quite so wide-reaching. And as the claim progressed, and as it dragged on, really, and we sadly lost so many of the original claimants, it became clear that there was an obligation to see the claim through, not just because of the importance of the kaupapa, because of the sacrifice and the commitment that those wonderful and, as I said, courageous people had made in deciding to lay the original claim. And there were two things about those original discussions which I'd like to raise and leave with you today. The first is that like all Waitangi Tribunal claims, there was a specific, if you like, kaupapa focus, which in this case was intellectual property and flora and fauna. What were the particular issues around the intellectual property um, which the claim would raise? Those are what I call the kaupapa issues. But as in all Waitangi Tribunal claims, I also think there's another parallel, often unspoken issue, uh, but which nevertheless underlines the kaupapa issue. And that's what I call the constitutional framing of the issue. That in the end, if we seek recognition of tenorana teratanga, whether it's in relation to a particular plant, the use and protection of a waiata or something like that, um, then we're actually requiring recognition of tenorana teratanga as a constitutional authority to be able to exercise those things. And I know that a lot of the international discussion that has taken place among Indigenous peoples um, has often centred around their notions of sovereignty and that sovereignty includes um, naturally the right to protect and care for to monarchy um, or the taonga, which are important to us. And it's in relation to that constitutional framing um, of the issue that, that I think 
is particularly relevant and people like John and Uti and Tamar especially um, were really keen that that aspect of the claim uh, be born in mind. And it was interesting that when we were drafting at the same time as the claim was progressing, uh, the UN Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples, but the articles in the Declaration, which deal with particular Taonga in relation to land, um, such as Articles 25, 26, 27 and 29 of the Declaration, are all related to what is the core article in the Declaration, which is Article 3. And Article 3, for those who aren't aware, um, adopts the fundamental human right that's enunciated in most of the international human rights conventions, and that's the right of self-determination. And all of the human rights conventions um, say that all peoples have a right to self-determination, and by virtue of that right, they may freely determine their political, economic, social, and cultural development. And so when we were drafting the Declaration on Indigenous Rights, we felt it was important that that right be included in the Declaration because the reason it was decided that a Declaration on Indigenous Rights was important was not just because of the issues like the damage that was being done to our Taonga, to our languages and so on, but also because colonisation by its various nature had for centuries denied the humanity of Indigenous peoples. That colonising states such as England, France, Germany and so on, Spain, had all assumed that they could take over the lands, lives and power of Indigenous peoples because they regarded those peoples as inferior. The sort of race-based ideologies that underpin colonisation concern the assumption that those superior so-called European nations could enter into and take what they liked from the lands of so-called inferior peoples. And so when we were drafting the Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples, as I said, in a time frame that's parallel with the drafting of Y262 and the processing of that through the tribunal, it was very important for all of the Indigenous peoples there that the Declaration re-established the humanity of Indigenous peoples, and thus Article 3 is included in the Declaration. It was the article most contested by state governments, particularly the governments of New Zealand, Canada, Australia and New Zealand, which are also some of the leading governments pursuing um, the new right free market policies of um, exploitation of biodiversity and so on. And the work that was carried on in the drafting of the Declaration as it paralleled the passage of the claim 
through the tribunal was this constant backdrop um, that to recognise tenoranga teratanga in relation to rungawa and other taonga and so on, which the claim specifically tried to focus on, was also framed within that broader constitutional basis and the idea that to preserve tinoranga teratanga in relation to those things was simply part of the exercise of self-determination. And since those early international discussions, um, a number of our people have continued involvement, both in the work at the United Nations and other international um, intellectual property forums and people like Aruhani, Clear Charters and others had managed to preserve a Māori voice in those forums, which is the voice that the claimants in this particular Y262, I think, were grateful for, that the issues they were trying to raise here at home were also being articulated and advocated by our people overseas. When the claim was processing, as I said, those issues were the sort of international backdrop and part of the constitutional framing that all Waitangi tribunal claims are situated in. Unfortunately, in its report, the tribunal said that this claim was not a constitutional review. Um, and it focused, I think, often really imaginatively um, and very forcefully on the narrow issues of intellectual property, taonga, the defining of taonga works, um, the need to establish a kaitiaki relationship with taonga, and so on. And that remains, I think, the basis of the current engagement uh, by the Crown uh, with Māori um, over how to move the report and the issues raised in the claim forward. Um, and it wasn't until a claim was again made by people in the North and Witte and Del and Sana, of course, were from the North. And it wasn't until another claim was laid in the north, the Paparahi or Taraki claim, um, which was a specific constitutional claim, if you like, about Hefakaputanga and Titiritio Waitangi, that the tribunal actually confronted the constitutional framing that had always been in the background of those who framed Y262. And in the findings, of the first part of the Paparahi Utaraki claim. The tribunal made a decision which, although it didn't reference Y262 directly, is nevertheless, I think, relevant and important. Because they said, first of all, as the people in the North have always argued, and as I would suggest as our people everywhere have always argued, that Iwi and Hapu did not cede sovereignty when they signed the Treaty of Waitangi. 
that in fact the idea of voluntarily giving up our authority uh, to the Crown was not just legally impossible in Tikanga terms, but culturally incomprehensible. And so in the Paparahi or Taraki claim, the tribunal found that because Iwi and Hapu did not cede sovereignty, they entered into the treaty expecting that it would create different spheres of influence that they granted a kawanatanga sphere of influence, essentially to ensure that the Crown looked after the unruly Pākehā who were arriving on our shores at that time, in the 1840s and so on. And they recognised their continuation of a tenoranga tiratanga sphere of influence. And those spheres of influence were independent, exercises of constitutional authority, but they were necessarily interdependent because that is the relationship that Tetiriti envisaged. And it seems to me that although they were not directly related, the findings of the tribunal in the Paparahi Motaraki claim reinforce the constitutional background and framing Y262, and that the recognition of tenoranga tiratanga in relation to our tongue, to our flora and fauna, those things which iwi have traditionally been kaitiaki over, those things which iwi have traditionally cared for, developed knowledge of, passed the history and wisdom about on Tamukapuna, that those things constitute one of those spheres of influence recognised by the tribunal. And it would be my hope that as this current government works with our people um, on how to forward Y262, that it takes cognizance of that constitutional framing, that it is the need to recognise the rights and authority of iwi and hapu in relation to intellectual property as part of tenoranga tiratanga, as part of the constitutionality, if you like, of a, of a sphere of influence. And it's interesting to me as well that just as at last as the Crown is trying to find some reconciliation in relation to my 262 that this present government is also at long last speaking with our people about how to give effective implication to the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples. So I think there's a certain symmetry developing and that just as the initial claim was the early stages of the drafting of the Declaration, now what I hope will be a meaningful recognition of what Y262 means in terms of authority and protection. So there is also at long last some recognition um, by the government of the need to engage with Māori to progress uh, the implementation and meaning of the United Nations Declaration. 
And it's perhaps no coincidence that when the UN Declaration was first signed, as I'm sure many of you know, only four countries refused to sign it. And they were Australia, Canada, United States and New Zealand. The same four states, which as I mentioned earlier, were among the leading advocates of that neoliberal attempt to commercialise, to take control of Tonga that had always belonged to Indigenous peoples. And when the New Zealand government finally agreed to sign the declaration um, four years after it had originally been completed, that was around the time that the report of YT62 was finally published and delivered to our people. So I guess it's because of the, the links in Whakapapa, I, I find a certain pleasure in those different symmetries that the long struggles which the original claimants had, had begun to bear fruit in a number of different ways and that the issues which they raised in Y262, complementary issues which were raised by them and other Indigenous peoples in the drafting of the UN Declaration, are now coming together, I think, in what I hope will be some positive way. And if I could just finally close with two things. The first is to express a hope, really, that the brave people who made the decision to lay Y262 as a claim to the tribunal were experienced advocates for our people. They knew that the claim would be difficult, that the Crown would not like the claim, that the Crown in fact would at times oppose the issues which they raised but they were willing to persevere and struggle to see that claim through. And with the assistance of a lot of our lawyers and the support of scientists and others, the claim was originally, was eventually, I mean, reported on and we're now at the stage of working out what that means. And I would hope that as we develop that process of recognition that this symposium will contribute to that reconciliation, but do so bearing in mind the sacrifice that those original claimants made, and so that their hope for some advancement will come to pass, not in some dilution and crown-controlled idea of intellectual property, not in some way that restricts manakitanga to the current ethos of copyright and so on, but an imaginative way forward that preserves tenorana tiratanga as a sphere of influence over which Māori exercise control. And the final thing I'd like to leave you with is a poem which Sana Murray, one of the original claimants, left with me. Many people will know that among her many talents, 
Sana was a poet. And at the time that they first came to our office to talk about the claim, a report that I had just been involved in had just been published. The report was called He Ho, Māori in the Criminal Justice System, which seemed a completely different sphere of interest and concern raised about why so many of our people imprisoned in such disproportionate numbers. And when the report I and other people involved with it were subjected to a fair amount of public attack, especially from politicians and lawyers um, who did not like our suggestion in the report that there should be the re-establishment of tikanga-based ways of dealing with those who cause harm and so on. And Sana, who I'd met a couple of times before then, sent me a poem in the post at that time. And when she came to our office with the other claimants, a few months later, I couldn't help thinking that although the poem was written about those of our mukapuna who end up in jail, end up being harmed or causing harm, I also felt it was really relevant Two eyes, two six two, and so I thought it would be a nice way to end my short time with you today by reading the poem that Sana wrote. And just as her initial interest in why two six two was around the damage being done to the environment and Ngāti particularly the fate of the Harakeke and the Pupu Harakeke, so this poem about Harakeke and it goes like this Harakeke time torn weary tender leaves when how will you gather strength and let the kōmako sing Harakeke sea lashed storm ravaged bending haunting when did the angry wind begin and hush the Komako song? Harakweke, Harakeke, quiet days, gentle sea, Pupu Harakeke, now you can sing again and catch the Kuaka coming home. And the Kuaka, of course, is the godwit which flies across the Pacific to Pāringaringa and then migrates again. And as I said, although that poem was written in the park, the Harakeke was seen by Dal as a plant that was damaged just as those young people who cause harm are damaged. The Tarito of the Harakeke, which is those young people, has been damaged because the Aferito the outer leaves of the Harakeke have been damaged. And perhaps in a way what Y262 was doing was to help us all find ways to ensure that the Harakeke and all of our Taonga remain strong. I'm honoured as today to recognise the efforts 
of those courageous people who first laid the claim and to wish you well in the symposium to thank you again for participating and may the wishes of those who laid that first claim find fulfillment in the not too distant future thank you kia ora Kia ora, ko Murak tēnei, te kaiwhakarite pāpāho Māori ki tuia ngā reo o te hāpuri. Kia ora, it's Murak, Māori Media Coordinator here at Free FM, and we hope you are enjoying all the new Māori-focused kaupapa and kōrero happening on Free FM. Of course, we would love to have more, so if you have kōrero or a kaupapa you want to talk about, get in contact with me, maoridia at freefm.org.nz. Moi hau, ko te arohanga maunga, ko tikapa te moana. Ko hauraki, te whenua, ko wai hau, ko hine muringa awa. Moana, Hauraki, Tepe. 
tēnā koe ko Murdoch tēnei, te kai whakarite pāpāho Māori ki tuia ngā reo o te hāpuri. Tēnā koe, it's Murdoch, Māori Media Coordinator here at FreeFM. And we're really excited about all the new Māori-focused content currently playing on FreeFM. But we can always do more. So if you have called it all, you want to share with us i roto i te reo Māori in the Māori language or with a Māori kaupapa, then email me. MāoriMedia at freefm.org.nz Hit me a hang out tēnei hōtaka e ngā pūtea tautoko o ngā reo irirangi te motu. For more episodes, use the accessmedia.nz app for iOS and Android devices or subscribe to this podcast via Spotify, iHeartRadio or Apple Podcasts. This free FM podcast was brought to you with support from New Zealand On Air.